Listen today as Dr. Kashi discusses the biochemistry and pathophysiology of obesity-related diseases and how activity significantly impacts appetite and eating patterns. The good doctor also explains the concept of insulin resistance and why the underlying issue causing high blood sugar often remains neglected. Roll the intro! Hello, and welcome to ah, Coffee with Cashy. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. I have a confession to make. Turns out Beyonce was right. The timeless classic modern philosopher Beyonce had this amazing work of literature where she was describing things going left. To the left, to the left, everything you own in a box to the left. So what can, what can the timeless classic philosopher Beyonce teach everybody about the biochemistry and pathophysiology of obesity-related, <coughs> couch-related diseases? Well, whoosh, we're bringing back the fancy cartoon, everybody. Okay, here's what we're learning. We're taking a left, okay? Again, to the left, to the left. Staying on the left side of this graph here. Haha, okay? And last thing, why moving day in your body is such a big deal. Talking again about nutrient cycling and things of that nature, right? Let's review the previous lesson here. Actually, there's little T work, little T does work. This is great news, sticking to the left, okay? So here's a quick review from the previous lesson. Activity does definitely have a legitimate impact on appetite. Activity also has a legitimate effect on eating patterns. Many of these effects, behaviorally, physiologically, they are conserved across animal species, which is pretty cool. This evolutionarily conserved. Uh, even animals, uh, humans are included in those animal species too, by the way. <laughs> that is important to know because sometimes, you know, it's not. Just saying. Okay. The relationship between activity and sugar intake and body weight is the only love triangle that ends up working out in the end. Everything else goes left. <laughs> that brings back the crazy cartoon they ended up seeing yesterday. Sticking to the left side. This guy right here. I'll, I'll describe a little more. I was going to say in a little more detail, but maybe a little less detail and a little clearer. Uh, just what the heck is going on here, right? The point is that you're getting a closer look at this. And before, it was just to show you that something like that existed. Now, in the grand scheme of things between sugar intake and body weight and activity, there are three major categories that are more or less representative of Goldilocks's porridge. There's potted plant status. And potted plant status is when you're on the left. You're on the left where... This on the x-axis is how much activity, how much activity there is, physical activity. Now, as you go to the left, what ends up happening is that body weight and sugar intake become disconnected from activity. The communication between those things starts to break down, right? Now, after that, there's using your body on purpose with purpose. This is using your body regularly in a regulated way. And if you're looking at this graph, there is body weight in green and sugar intake slash food in blue. And here 
using your body on purpose with purpose, you see there's weight stability, metabolic health stability. And as activity goes up to the right, well, food goes up to match those increases in activity, right? Hopefully that makes sense. But at the same time, your health, your metabolic health and body weight remains stable. That's what that means. So as your activity goes to the left, less and less and less, eventually your activity becomes so low that your body weight and your food become disconnected from it. This is what that means. So some people are in a situation where their activity levels are so low, they are indubitably, <laughs> indubitably, indubitably eating relatively more than enough for them because the regulating the regulation associated with food and body weight and activity are disconnected. And as you move into the realm of enough activity, whoopsie daisies, boop. As you move into the realm of enough activity, your health and body weight remain stable and your food will go up in relation to your activity. And then eventually you get into the overkill status. And overkill status as well, you do so much that actually your food intake and your food intake starts to decline and your body starts to break down. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. That is essentially this cartoon in a nutshell. Uh, moving too little, like we just learned in the previous lessons and like we just described right now, divorces activity and body weight and sugar and sugar intake from each other. And this practically always leads into an increase in body weight and their <clears throat> like increase in body weight. Okay, that's what this is. As you go to the left, body weight goes up which is confusing in the context of it being disconnected because as you go to the left in activity, as your activity approaches zero, well, your food intake starts going up too. And that is because activity has a regulatory component in those things. That is kind of the whole point of this, right? Now, that leads to a strange situation of <laughs> leading the, the relative increase in calories, the relative increase in food, also causes, again, the increase in body weight. And anybody that's been really fat knows how difficult it is to do basic stuff, at least in comparison to when you remember being smaller. This part of what causes a disconnect. Getting in and out of the car sucks, so you park closer to save yourself some energy. Going upstairs sucks for your lungs, and going downstairs sucks for your knees. So you start taking elevators to save yourself some energy in your joints, okay? Activity gets less and less right? Even putting on your shoes and socks really sucks. So you start to change some, so you start to change like what sort of shoes you wear so that you can slip them on and save yourself some energy and some lower back pain. See how this ends up kind of compounding on itself where the heavier you become, the less active you are, the less active you are, the heavier you become, the more relative food you end up consuming. And what ends up happening here? See a common theme? It's actually energy conservation, funny enough. A judgmental a-hole will say something like, look at how lazy that fat person is. But a physiologist, a legit one, will say, wow, look how clever these modifications are to conserve energy and mitigate pain. That's what's happening. Now, since it takes more work to do the same stuff, people end up doing less. And then when they do less over time, their muscle mass also goes down, which then causes another increase in relative food intake. The end result is gaining a lot of body fat and losing a substantial amount of muscle mass. And over time, the environment is modified and behaviors are modified to reflect the changes in activity patterns. That's what the whole left side of that cartoon means. Now, in these series of clever modifications, although they really are clever, 
They really are. They do cause activity shrinkage over time and muscle shrinkage over time. And that does two major things. The decreases in muscle mass over time make it make a person essentially weaker. Their strength to body weight ratio goes down and fatter by proportion, which again increases relative food intake, thereby making them fatter proportionally because the muscle mass goes down. And so even if they're the same weight, muscle mass goes down and body fat goes up. So pr proportionally they're fatter, but also making them fatter in total because relative food intake to their needs goes up. Now this further divorces food, body weight, and activity from each other, disrupting that regulation because they do regulate each other. For instance, because of proper use of hormones like insulin becomes so crippled that a metabolic disease like diabetes and other obesity <coughs> couch related diseases result. Thus, being a potted plant on the left, being a potted plant here on the left, it drives a relative overconsumption, right? Food goes up and declines in muscle mass, which, which increases relative consumption even more, decreases activity even more, okay? Cripples the endocrine function, leading to obesity, whoop, and couch-related metabolic disease. That's what this whole left side, everything in a box to the left. <laughs> I think that's so silly. Okay. Now, depending on the situation, of course, muscles dispose of between 75% and 95% of the body's circulating sugar, which mind you, in the context of couch related disease, remembering from previous lessons is actually coming from the liver. People think it's coming directly from food, but it's coming from the liver in the context of disease. Okay. Now, insulin is the major mediator of sugar transport between sugar's three musketeers, the brain, the muscles, and the liver. Therefore, any funkification of insulin's function is adverse, which is a fancy science word for bad for. It is adverse to metabolic health, the communication between sugar's three musketeers. If you disrupt that communication, ugly stuff happens. Now, for you nitpickers out there, the adipose tissue, which is the fancy word for fat stuff, it does have a substantiated underlying role in the progression of these diseases, but for the sake of this conversation, hopefully you understand that although it is central to the mechanism of the pathology, to use fancy science words for fancy science people, it's actually quite divorced from the practicalities and pragmatic physiology of sugar, movement, body weight, and the three musketeers in this metabolic health conversation. So that is for you nitpickers. Uh, we can go arm wrestle over there if you want to do that. So thank you for your patience and understanding. Now back to your originally scheduled programming to the left. Muscles dispose of, depending on the physiological situation, up to 95% of the body's circulating sugar. Can you see why sensitivity of muscle mass to insulin and the amount of muscle mass you have going up and down can have an impact on that communication between sugar three musketeers? Hmm? Being active keeps the muscles sensitive to hormones like insulin, making them more effective at disposing of that circulating sugar. So as the frequency, intensity, and volume of the activity declines, then the resistance to insulin goes up, and therefore the muscles and liver's ability to take up the circulating sugar goes down. The secondary issue, aside from the increase in insulin resistance, meaning you need more insulin to do the same amount of stuff, is that as frequency, intensity, and volume of activity declines in muscle mass will atrophy, muscles go away. So this leaves you with, leaves you with two interesting uh, predicaments. If muscles go down, well, the amount of sugar you can dispose of goes down because there's less physical space. It's quite literally an issue of physical space. And if you get a smaller house and have the same amount of stuff, you're going to have overflow. So not only do you have a smaller house, smaller muscles, but the doors, windows, and garage, they're too small to get anything in. And the darn key and the remote are broken. <laughs> Insulin resistance. So you have less space 
and it's dif more difficult to get stuff in and there's less space to get what is there in there. So how does the body get around this problem? Well, what happens then? A couple of things. One, the liver ends up taking on that overflow from the muscles, which increases the liver's resistance to insulin as well. Why? Well, partly because your muscles can hold a lot more sugar than the liver can. And as the amount of muscles you have go down, it puts the amount of sugar load now on the liver. And now the, when the liver's sugar stores are topped off, it'll start converting a lot more of that sugar, excess sugar to fat. And some of that fat will get stored in the liver, making for a fattier liver. Ah, starting to make sense now a little bit. Now that the liver and the muscles, the two biggest disposers of your sugars, of your body's sugar are crippled, and remember that sugar's coming from the liver, by the way, <laughs> uh, in the context of pathology here, there's even more excess now because both of the main, the, both of the two biggest, the two, the two bigger, stronger, heftier of the musketeers are now crippled. And that puts the responsibility now on the redheaded stepchild, the pancreas, okay, which is way out there. Uh, who, why? Because the pancreas is only answer to anything is violence. Uh, really, that's kind of the pancreas's job is to be violent, right? Keys and remotes are broken. It's all good. We'll send more movers to kick the doors in. Is the house too small for the stuff you got? It's all good. We'll send even more movers to pile it up to the ceiling. Stuff's piled up to the ceiling. It's all good. We'll send even more movers to stick the stuff on the roof. The poor pancreas can only do one thing in this situation. It's just do more of what it can do, and that's vomit out even more insulin. It's like that crazy uncle who carries a knife around everywhere and tries to use the knife for everything and always offers the knife. Like, you have a problem, the knife will solve it. <laughs> just, hey, here's the knife. You want the knife? Got a knife. You need a knife? That's kind of like insulin. Well, it's, it's kind of like the pancreas in this context, all right? <laughs> the pancreas just keeps sort of vomiting out insulin until blood sugar goes back down. But the blood sugar is up for reasons that are other that are different from insulin, essentially. Now, if you have 3,000 square feet worth of stuff in a 1,500 square foot house, then you can send all the movers you want. But the house is still too small. But that's but but then what happens is like it's like the moving company gets angry that that this is taking so long, and so instead of asking why it's taking so long, they just keep sending more movers, hoping it'll go faster. That. In a silly nutshell is what insulin resistance is <laughs> you got 3,000 square foot worth of stuff in a 1500 square foot house and you just keep sending movers hoping it'll get it all get in okay when insulin resistance gets bad enough it eventually turns into glucose intolerance which may be a term you've we've heard of before many people are pre-diabetic they really are but it's hidden because why is it hidden because their fancy blood work still says their sugar's fine because the number is right but what's really going on is that their body might be making a ton more insulin than normal to keep their blood sugar normal. Mm. So if your blood sugar is perfect, but you've making twice as much insulin to keep that sugar perfect, is that really good? Ah, so you can have perfect blood sugar and sky high insulin, but normal blood work only measures the sugar. There are good and practical reasons for this, but that's what's happening. Now, when that ends up progressing, and blood sugar is chronically high, if blood sugar is chronically high, then that means you're already beyond the stage of insulin resistance, and now you're into glucose intolerance, because even with tons of insulin floating around, there's still extra sugar floating around with it. That's ugly, right? Now, insulin resistance is a foundational component to couch-related disease, and the next step is glucose intolerance, which is a foundational component of diabetes, because your body does try and figure out ways to get rid of that excess glucose, and they'll stick it to your nerves, and stick it, they'll stick it everywhere, and it ends up causing damage, <laughs> okay? 
constantly cycling stored nutrients you have in your brain and your liver and your muscles from things like standing and walking and moving around is what keeps this from happening. It's what keeps that from happening. It's totally separate from sugar. <laughs> the nutrient cycling associated with activity is what maintains the sensitivity to hormones and metabolic health. Hopefully that makes sense. This is why, partially why activity is an inferior method to losing body weight and a superior method to maintaining and fostering metabolic health. But diet and food and eating are superior methods to controlling and lowering body weight and an inferior method for improving metabolic health. They are complementary when a lot of people consider them to be adversarial. Hopefully that makes sense, right? So here's what you've learned. We're sticking, sticking to the first third of that cartoon. <laughs> okay, what happens to the left? Everything, everything ugly in this context, in this conversation is happening in that box to the left. The timeless philosopher Beyonce has taught us now, right? And why moving day is such a big deal, why it's so important for your body. If you've got 3,000 square foot worth of stuff at a 1,500 square foot house, you can send all the movers you want. The house is still too darn small. <laughs> and you got a business going out of business to boot, and that's ugly right? Thank you so much for learning. Stay rational. Until next time. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out! <laughs>